Amen. Thank you, brother. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 4 today. If you want to go ahead and turn that way. Did you guys sleep in? Is that why you're here late? You guys all slept in? Hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) Joshua 4. Lord, thank you so much for your presence and your goodness to us, Lord. We ask as we turn to your word that there would be a holy reverence in this place. We ask that you would convict us, that you would sharpen us, that you would make us disciples in Jesus' name who are shaped and molded in the image of Jesus. Father, I ask that you would empower me, guard my words, Lord, help me to bring bread to the table. We love you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your glorious name we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. As a means of introduction today, I want to take you to Judges chapter 2. Now that may feel irrelevant, but it's not. Um, The book of Judges, remember, comes directly after the book of Joshua. And so we're, we're in right now in Joshua 4, we're studying the crossing the Jordan River. But Judges chapter 2 in particular gives us the account of Joshua's death. Now if you think like about the biblical narrative, from Exodus to Deuteronomy, we're essentially studying Israel under Moses' leadership, right? The way that God interacts with Israel under Moses' leadership. The book of Joshua, imagine this, it's under Joshua's leadership. And then imagine this logic. The next book is the book of Judges, where we study Israel under the judges' leadership. So there's a transition that takes place from Joshua's leadership to the leadership of the judges. Now, remember the judges are these kind of like military prophets, right? Who, um, like Samson or um, Deborah, these kind of prophet leaders. And so when we look to Joshua chapter 2, we find... What happens after Joshua's death? What happens after Joshua's leadership? So let me read you that, and and I promise you this will all make sense here in a second. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all the generations, all of that generation, also were gathered to their fathers. Now this is a biblical lament here. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now remember the theme of the book of Judges. The kind of repetitive line that the Judges ends with is this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, everyone became their own Lord and their own God, and they worshipped their own ideas and, and established their own sense of morality and righteousness. So Judges tells us repetitively that throughout the period of Judges, Israel was in rebellion, and every man did what they thought was right. There was no looking to the Lord, looking to His revelation, looking to His leadership for guidance. They just did what they wanted to do. Now, Judges chapter 2, what it told us in verse 7, was that all the days of Joshua, Israel served the Lord. They were faithful to the Lord as long as Joshua lived. Then it tells us that Joshua passed away at 110 years old. And Israel continued to walk with the Lord as the elders who walked with Joshua were still alive. So as Joshua's companions and friends and the leadership that served under him, as long as they lived, Israel served the Lord. And then verse 10 tells us this. 
after that generation were gathered to their fathers, that's just a Hebraic way of saying, after they died, there arose another generation who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So what a lament the scripture gives us. There's a generation who arises who does not know the Lord nor the work that he has done for Israel. Now that's the phrase that we want to have in our minds today as we look to Joshua chapter 4. They didn't know the Lord. Now I can't make my kids know God intimately. If I could, I would. But my prayer life won't work for them. My study life, I can't read the Bible on their behalf. I can't walk with God on their behalf. At some point, as they leave my covering, they're going to have to learn to walk with God on their own. I can't, I can't love God for them. God has no grandchildren is what they say, you know. You can't, you don't just, you're not born a Christian because your parents were a Christian. At some point, you've got to walk with God for yourself. But the second there is that they didn't even know the works that he had done. Now, I can't love God for my kids, but I can make sure my kids know how faithful God has been to me. I can't, I can't pray for them, like I can't, I can't make their prayer life happen, but I can make sure that they know the faithfulness, the steadfast love of God that lifted me and empowered me and graced me. I can't make them love God, but I can make sure they know the love of God in my life and my love for God so that by my testimony, there's an invitation towards them to know the God of Scripture. So they didn't know God, nor did they know the works of God that he had done for Israel. Now we're looking at largely today is God's command to Israel to remember. And so we want to look at the spiritual discipline of remembering. Joshua chapter 4, you guys ready? Verse 1 through 24. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the numbers of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Listen to this. And when your children ask you in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they had lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell all the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses, all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come out of the Jordan. 
And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now let me jog your memory where we left off last week. We're studying the crossing of the Jordan River. We said that, again, God parted the Red Sea when Israel came out of Egypt. Then he parted the Jordan River when he brought them into rest. So God is declaring, I'm not only the God who brings you out of slavery, I'm also the God who's able to bring you into peace. We said last week, and Joshua hinted at here, the scripture hinted at here, that God parted the Red Sea to show his power and his graciousness and his faithfulness to this generation's fathers. Now he's going to part the river to show his steadfastness and omnipotence, his power to this generation. He's the God, the omnipotent God of the universe for every generation. Now, remember again that the Jordan is raging in this season. The mountains are beginning to melt, mountain caps at spring, so the Jordan is flowing over on the banks. You've probably seen pictures of the Jordan today, or maybe you've been to Israel and seen that the Jordan in some places is very narrow. Historians and archaeologists tell us that the reason the Jordan is so narrow today is it wasn't that narrow in antiquity. It's because many people are, are pumping water from the Jordan for their crops. And so as Israel grew and they started pumping water, the Jordan kind of shrank down. And so today it doesn't look so intimidating, but in antiquity it was broad and wide and it ran quick. And so Israel is told that, hey, we're going to cross the Jordan River. And Joshua tells Israel, we don't need boats, we don't need ropes, and we don't need bridges. We're just going to cross it. And Israel is left to deal with the fact that God is asking them to cross this sweeping, flooding river. Now remember again that God tells Israel, tells the priest, I want you to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water. Now it would have been really beautiful and wonderful if God would work the way that we want him to work, right? If he, they would have just woke up on that morning and it was dry, right? And we just woke up, nothing there. Good deal. But that's never the way that God works, right? It's... He told them, step into the water, and the water will stop upstream. So as you walk, believing that I'll fulfill the promise I told you I'll fulfill, the river will slowly start to dry up. He doesn't say, when you wake up tomorrow, you'll just walk across, it'll be really easy. He says, you'll have to learn to be people of faith who trust me. Walk with me in the river, and the water will stop. So the river is stopped. At this point, as we're reading... The river's dry, the scripture says. It wasn't muddy. It wasn't like wet, sinking sand. There was just dry ground. The priests are standing in the middle of the river holding the Ark of the Covenant. And the scripture tells us that the people scurry across. Then it makes a really interesting observation. It's something worth thinking about. It says that the, the priest holding the Ark, they waited very diligently for Joshua's command. And so the people scurried across. It seems like everything's over. They don't just say to themselves, all right, let's get across now. Let's just move along with this thing. It seems to be over to me. They wait very diligently, listening for God's command. They've learned this lesson in the wilderness, that Israel's only supposed to move when God tells them to move. And so they just stand. 
There are times in life where God has called you to a place. He's called you to stand in his presence. And he intends for you to stand there until he tells you to move. And it may seem logical. It may seem like the right, everything in you might say, all right, let's just move along now. But we need to learn to not move along until we hear the voice of the Lord. And so the priests are standing there waiting. Israel again scurried across. I, I like to think that um, the, the, the passage says they, they, they crossed the river in haste. And so um, I, I like to think of uh, me trying to get my herd of kids across the Target parking lot. I'm just like whipping them and kicking them. I told the congregation sometimes I use a buggy to like whack their little ankles so they keep going. That's not true. I have thought of it though. It has, it has crossed my mind. Um, so if you, if you can imagine like moms scurrying their little kids, you know, fussing them, get moving, get moving. And, and dad's trying to carry, you know how it is when, you, when you're on vacation or something and your wife makes you carry everything. Um, dad's trying to carry all the stuff and moms get across, get across. And we don't know why they're scurrying. Maybe it's because there's still a river pinned up upstream and they don't know when that thing's going to let loose. And so you're just kind of shuffling across. And it seems to be done, and everyone takes a big breath. Thank you, Lord. We made it across the Jordan. And then God says to Joshua, I want you to tell 12 men, one man from each tribe, walk back in the river. Walk back in the riverbed. And I think this is really important because I think what happens in our lives is we, we go from one trial to the next. And in the midst of the trial, all we want is to get out of the thing. And so we're like, God, show up and show off because I'm ready to... I'm ready to get out of this thing, right? I'm ready to get up and get out. So get me out of here. And um, what God does here is, is really important for us to catch. God does not say to Israel, now you've scurried across. Whew, it's over. And I'm going about your business. God says, slow down. Wait, 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 wait. Slow down. Let's slow this pace a bit. I want 12 men to walk back in the middle of the river. And And what he says here is really interesting too. I want you to walk near the priest holding the ark. Now, in all of Israel, they, they know that, like, you're really supposed to get close to the ark. Um, that's not something that you just do freely, okay? Um, and earlier the command was, keep a distance from the ark, because the ark is the symbol of God's holy glory. Remember when David tries to bring the ark back later, and a man slips and grabs the thing, he'll be struck dead. And so Israel knows you don't just, you don't just walk up to the ark. But now God's saying, go near the ark, pick up 12 stones, and bring them back and set up a memorial. And what God says to us here, teaches us here, is really interesting. God says, remembering is holy. Being a people who understand the value of memorial, that is a holy, righteous thing in my eyes. In other words, um, altars. Altars, biblically speaking, are places of sacrifice, but they're also places of remembrance. And so God is saying, um, think of Abraham setting up an altar to remember, to celebrate a victory. So it is a place where you die, you come and sacrifice, but it's also a place where you, where you establish a memorial, a place where you remember what God did. So God says um, to rush to Israel, slow it down, because I want you to remember. Then he says to, to the 12 uh, men, elders chosen out of Israel, go, get close to the ark, get, get stones that are close to the ark. Bring them back, and we'll establish a memorial. So the text tells us that they carried stones, and they established a memorial in the place where they were camped across from the Jericho. Now, we found our emphasis in the scripture here. Memory. The spiritual discipline of remembering. 
the aspect of worship, which is remembering. When you study worship in the scripture, think, just cause your mind to jog for a minute. How many times when Israel, the psalmist worships, they'll worship by saying, you're the God who parted the Red Seas. You're the God who parted the Jordan River. You're the God who tore down the walls of Jericho. You're the God who was faithful to David. You were the God who, who gave wisdom, sol- wisdom to Solomon. You'll see in the scriptures, as people worship, they are recounting God's mighty works from the past. It's a part of biblical worship. So here we find God saying, worship me by remembering. Now watch the wisdom and the kindness of God here. The first thing I want you to notice is that God understands that humans are forgetful. And so we're going to need a little token. Okay, we're going to need a little memory aid. Um, And so God does not just say, remember this. He says, go get some stones and set up a memorial because you're forgetful. We are trapped in time and space and moving along in a way that God is not. God's outside of time. And, and, and we have this, this really bad habit of always looking forward to tomorrow, always thinking about what's coming. So much so that Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. Be people of faith today. And so God says, you're forgetful, and I know that you're forgetful, so stop, slow down, go get some stones, because this you're going to need to remember. Because they're excited to cross the Jordan River. They're through that anxiety, through that fear. But by God, they're camped right outside of the walls of Jericho. And they'll need to remember that the God who parted the river will be the same God who will lead them as the walls of Jericho fall. So quickly, why does God ask us to remember? One, remembering promotes gratitude. Right? Like, as I remember the salvation of God in my life, as I remember for me the depression and the anxiety and the guilt and the sorrow and the loneliness, as I remember God setting me free from a prison of my own self-absorbed pain, as God, as I remember God liberating me, I'm thankful. My soul is filled with gratitude. My soul is washed with thankfulness. Remembering promotes thankfulness. Think of the psalmist when he says, um, He picked me up out of the miry clay, placed my feet upon a rock. What is the psalmist doing? He's remembering. And as he remembers, there's gratitude and thankfulness that rises up. God commands us to remember One, because remembering promotes gratitude. Two, once I began to learn the spiritual discipline of remembering the testimony of what God's done and gratitude fills my heart, then I find joy. Because there's nothing like a man or woman who's been locked in a cell for 20 years getting let loose one day. There is joy, freedom that we know as we remember and celebrate and are filled with gratitude. The gratitude, the thankfulness produces in me joy. It's kind of the same principle when Jesus says, those who are forgiven much, love much. Why do those who are forgiven much love much? Because they remember how much they've been forgiven of. And so as I'm filled with gratitude, I'm led to a place where I'm filled with joy, and here I am happy in God. And God commands of us to be happy in God because of God. I am happy in your presence, fulfilled. The fullness of joy is my inheritance. The joy of salvation. I possess it. In God I am happy because of what God has done. And so now I am 
remembering, I'm filled with gratitude, I'm filled with joy, I'm happy in God, then I am able to walk in confidence, then I'm able to walk in hope and faith, because I am leading the Jordan River, after all, and facing Jericho's walls. And so when I stand at the walls of Jericho, or I stand at the next trial of my life, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's the loss of a loved one, maybe it's bitterness, the loss of a job, as I stand before the gates of my next trial, I stand hopeful and expectant, because one, I am filled with gratitude, two, I am filled with joy, three, I am happy in God, and I am sure that the same God who led me across the river will lead me through this gate, tear down this wall. He said, he's, he said he's, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Every promise of God in Christ is yes and amen. I'm confident, man. I have hope. I'm living a life of hope in God. Then I face temptation by remembering now, this happens in marriage, and it's really important that you understand this in the context of marriage. Um, imagine, say, say you go to work, and there's a coworker who's a little bit flirtatious. Um, and they're, they're engaging you in some conversation that maybe is not quite... If your spouse was sitting there, you wouldn't be having. You know, it's, it's, there's a temptation to engage in flirtatious or some type of infidelity, whether emotionally or physically. The key to conquering temptation in the context of marriage, is to celebrate and remember the faithfulness and the love and the intimacy of your spouse, right? It's why we as Christians should take our anniversaries very seriously, right? Like we should sit at dinner, laugh, tell stories, be thankful to God, love our spouse, enjoy our spouse. It's actually a really biblical theme. You find this in the Proverbs where the Proverbs will say, love the wife of your youth, be satisfied in the wife of your youth. There's some themes in scripture there that get a little inappropriate. We'll talk about that another time. Um, but but you, you, you hear what I'm saying? That I, I, I need to remember when I fell in love with my wife. I need to remember to keep falling in love with my wife. I need to remember to, 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 to date her still. And, and I need to celebrate our anniversaries. I need to be really important. So that when the coworker comes and tries to engage me in some kind of flirtatious conversation, what rises up in my heart is I belong to someone. Right? Like, no, go ahead. Move along because, because my heart belongs to someone. I've walked with someone for years, man. Someone's been good to me. Someone's cooked for me and cleaned up after me and served me. Right? When I was sick, someone cared for me. That woman gave me my children. I love, I'm like, no, I belong to somebody. You can keep, keep moving on along. And that same principle exists in our relationship with God. You see this in all of scripture when God deals with Israel. It, we come to the place where, where I'm tempted maybe with sexual sin or I'm tempted with pride or arrogance or bitterness and there's a temptation to step into a, an area that's dishonoring to God and my response is like, no, I belong to someone. That, that action is outside of the confines of my covenant. You're inviting me to worship the God of comfort. You're inviting me to worship the modern God of pleasure. But I cannot worship the modern God of pleasure because I only worship the God of Scripture who picked me up out of the miry clay and placed my feet upon a rock. No, he's been faithful to me for decades, man. I can't just turn my back on him now. Move along. I conquer temptation through remembering. I keep sharing this story and I want to keep sharing it. Um, Polycarp was an early church father. He's in his 80s. He's a great man of prayer. And so some soldiers come to his house to arrest him because this is a time of persecution. 
They come to arrest him and he asks them, can I just have one hour to pray? They say, oh, you're old, whatever, have an hour. He prays for two hours because what is time to the praying man? Um, And he gets up and the soldiers are begging him, please deny Jesus. We do not want to kill you, old man. They're, they're literally saying, you're old and frail. You're not going to put up a fight. We don't want to kill you. Just, just please, just deny him. We'll move along. For heaven's sake, just stop, Polycarp, just stop. Polycarp's response, as this is recorded all in church history, his response was, for 80 and some years, Jesus has been faithful to me. I can't deny him. That's, that's what the scripture means when it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb in the word of our testimony. I overcome temptation by remembering the word of my testimony, speaking the word of my testimony. Next, we'll move to the last theme here as we get ready to close. Set up the rocks, set up the 12 stones so that your kids will ask you. What does this mean? Because the problem from Joshua's generation to the generation of the judges was there is no generational transfer. There was no passing off of the faith to the next generation. And so God is saying to Israel here, generational transfer matters. You are forgetful. You're going to have to be diligent and intentional to make sure your kids get it. Make sure your grandkids get it. God is saying, set up little memorials, little little knickknacks, stones. Do what you got to do to make sure you pass along your faith. We cannot trust our larger society to disciple our kids. Right? Like, we're in a world, we're in a country that's turning its back on its Judeo-Christian roots. You can't send your kid to school and hope your teacher teaches them to pray. Right? That ain't happening anymore. All right, there's no reading of the scriptures in school. We can't trust our, our, our kids' friends and their parents to help disciple our kids. We have to instill biblical worldviews, the, the faith of scripture, to our we have to pass it on. And so scripturally what we see here is that we need to be diligent and intentional, remembering that we're not just called to praise God this way, but to praise God this way. Seth tells us this all the time, that the Hebraic idea of praise was multifaceted where the English word is kind of singular but in the Psalms to praise doesn't just mean to say God you are beautiful to tell God of his attributes you're beautiful you're holy you're majestic you're wonderful praise is also to tell you of God's attributes he was good to me he's faithful to me he's steadfast love endures forever we talked about this before when you love a restaurant you praise it to your neighbor you got to try this one that's the fullest idea of praise. God is saying to Israel, by setting up this memorial, I am teaching you to be intentional to not only remember, but to trap your kids into asking you questions about your faith. Our pastor said years ago that I liked that um, he had a house full of kids, uh, and he said that one thing that he did was he went through uh, each kid had a Bible that he had went through, prayed through, made notes in, cover to cover. He had spent his devotional time praying over that thing. And each kid, when he's gone, will have a Bible that dad prayed through, read through, journaled in. We need to learn to leave behind very intentional memorials before our kids and grandkids. I was praying last night and um, praying for service and I was at the house and I had my face in a pillow on the ground just to pray in and 
praying in tongues and my kids think I pray in Spanish, but I haven't told them yet that I don't speak Spanish. Um, I say, dad's very smart. I'm trilingual. <laughs> That's not a joke either. That's true. I haven't told him yet. <laughs> um, so I'm laying there praying and, uh, my three-year-old comes in. She just turned three. So I was telling the church earlier that we're like in the extension of the terrible twos. It's kind of like the playoffs. Like it's just, things are just getting warmed up real good. Um, so she's just wild. Um, she's cute as she could be, but whoo. Um, and so my three-year-old, we call her Lottie. Lottie comes and she puts her forehead right in my forehead. And she says, what you doing? And, um, I'm not good at like teaching kids, uh, about anything. Like I, I have, I don't have the ability to like bring things down to their level. My wife talks to me about it all the time. So, so I'm trying to learn. So I said, dad's praying to God right now. I said, he made you and he loves you. She goes, uh-huh. What you keep talking about blood for? <laughs> she said, <laughs> cause I was pleading the blood over our church and over your families. What you keep talking about blood for? And, um, I said, do you know substitutionary atonement? <laughs> um, And I was laughing about that this morning. I was remembering that encounter and laughing about it this morning. And um, I was thinking that, you know, that's probably the right question to be asking. Like, we, we probably should be continually leading our kids and our grandkids and our neighborhood kids to ask the question, like, why do y'all talk about blood so much? Like, that's, a, that's a, actually a beautiful question that I did not have the capacity to answer a three-year-old on. I'm like, ask me in five years. We'll talk about that. Um, We need to make sure that we leave something behind us. We've got to make sure. I was laughing. The uh, So when the younger one's in my face and she says, what you keep talking about blood for? I could hear the older one in the back. My oldest, she's almost eight. And she said, he's praying. Stop. Leave him alone. <laughs> and like, I was just cackling. Um. Uh, Pastor Seth was leading worship, or not leading worship, was singing at a wedding last night. We usually come to the church to pray so that I don't have to deal with that. Um, sometimes they come with us and just run laps around the church, though, so that ain't much better. Um, isn't life beautiful? Um, so, I, I want you to think. I want you to think about what what you're leaving to your grandkids. I want you to think about what you're leaving to your kids and your I think we need to keep living our spiritual disciplines out in front of our family. So that I one thing that I think is really healthy is to have like give yourself a prayer retreat once a year where you go get a hotel room or you go somewhere and you're just praying. So your kids and your grandkids know, like, no, dad's not around right now, he's praying, or grandma's not around right now, she's on her prayer retreat, and you need to journal and you need to write and you need to record your testimony and leave photo albums with scriptures for your kids to see. You got to be intentional about making sure. I can't make my kids love Jesus, but I can make sure they know that daddy loved Jesus and that Jesus was good to me. Now just quickly, I want to read to you from Psalm 145 really quick. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. 
and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. Listen to this. And they shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. One generation will tell the next generation of your mighty works. I'll meditate on your good works. We will eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness. What does that mean? Eager with like excitement. We utter the memory of your abundant goodness, what you've done in the past. And with joy, we shout to your praise. That's a, that's a biblical concept of worship that involves making sure we transfer our faith to the next, from one generation to the next. Now let's get ready to close. Seth, would you come for me, worship team? And um, we're going to receive communion as we close. And so if you didn't receive the elements when you came in, if you just lift your hands, Brother Jerry's going to come by and serve you. Now, of course, you remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed when Judas would come with that kiss, you know. Jesus sat down with the disciples to have dinner. And do you remember when he establishes what we call the ordinance of the church, communion? Do you remember what he says? Do this in remembrance of me. That this is going to be an aspect of your worship where you intentionally remember the goodness, my goodness towards you through this sacrifice. You're going to remember. Your kids are going to ask you, what are you doing with the bread? And what are you doing with the wine? And you're going to tell them about all that I did on the cross. In worship, Jesus says, as often as you gather together, I want you to do this. In worship, I want you to remember. Remember me. Remember what I've done. So if you stand to your feet, we'll get ready to take communion. On the night of his betrayal, as he sat with the disciples, he took bread and he broke bread. And he said, take this, eat, all of you. So this morning, God, we remember the broken body of Jesus. Lord, we remember the torn flesh of our Messiah. The prophet Isaiah said that you were marred, Jesus, beyond human resemblance. You were bruised and crushed. We remember that that death was not just that you did not deserve punishment, but you endured it out of deep love for us. We remember this morning, Lord, the broken body of Christ. Go ahead and take the bread. And then he takes a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant take it and drink all of you as often as you do this you proclaim my coming proclaim my death until my coming he's saying drink acknowledge the life poured from my veins acknowledge the blood of the lamb that washes you of all your sins so lord jesus today we remember the blood of your sacrifice 
that the Lamb's blood caused the judgment of God to pass over all who clung to it. We thank you that judgment has passed over us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that all, although our sins were as scarlet, you made them white as snow. We thank you that our robes have been dipped in the precious blood. Hallelujah. We remember the blood. We remember the blood, Lord. We're thankful for your blood, sweet Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Everybody say amen. Go ahead and take the cup. As the altar team gets into place, I just want to say quickly, man, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never come to Christ, we want you to know that that salvation, that forgiveness is not something you earn. Forgiveness is something that's given to you freely. And so if you're here and you're bound by guilt and shame and you're unsure about your eternal destiny, we want you to know that you can have grace today. You can be forgiven today. You can be clean today. Not because you've performed well, but because Christ performed perfectly on your behalf. That's what substitutionary atonement means, by the way. (laughs) That he took your place. It was your substitution. If that's you this morning, we want to encourage you to come to the altars. You don't have to leave here in guilt. You don't have to leave here in shame. You don't have to leave here worried about what happens to you after this life. You can be confident that you're forgiven, loved, and headed towards the very glorious presence of God. Second, as we prayed this morning, we felt like there were a few things that came up. One, that there was someone with metal in their back that they're struggling with. It's causing pain and discomfort. Two, that there's a right shoulder issue. Someone's struggling with frequent chronic dry eyes. If any of those things are you, I want to ask you to come to the altar and receive prayer. We believe the Spirit will heal you this morning. Three, if you're struggling with any kind of anxiety or depression, if you're feeling oppressed, night terrors, you're feeling like the enemy is just... just just gripping you and oppressing you. We believe God is here to set you free today. We want to we want to pray that the peace of God would wash over you. If any of those things are you want to ask you to come, as Seth leads us in another song of worship, don't look around, don't hesitate. If you need prayer, if you need God to touch you today, please come to the altar. <laughs>